when we protest, we like to shut down um, freeways, mm-hmm. um, which is like really inconvenient for a lot of people. But also, that's kind of the point. Is like yeah, exactly the people who are that we're you know the issues that we're protesting um, against or for like um, you know for those people that are affected like it it is inconvenient it's not something that they have the privilege to think about and that's the whole idea of like shutting down these like spaces Mm -hmm. is literally like we're forcing you to deal with an issue or kind of emotionally like empathize with like the frustrations of what every what they're going through so um i think in that way like just literally like there is actually like now that i'm talking to you like there's a privilege to a space right Mm. like we there's an assumption that when we hop on the freeway that we can go somewhere. There's an assumption that when we go uh, to school that something's gonna happen in a certain way. But what happens when you do a sit-in? You know, um, what happens when you literally like occupy a college, right? Um, or occupy the freeway? You're literally kind of using space to create an embodied political experience, which is something that I'm really interested in, like with the work that I do. We go space to place, we go space to place, we go We go space to place, we go space to place, we go space to place, we go Tell me what you're talking about. We go space to place, we go space to place, we go Man, these boys are crazy. Welcome to Space to Place, the podcast where two boys. <laughs> Uh, okay let's try it again (laughs) welcome to space to place the podcast where two boys drive around the u.s of a talk to people get stuck in missoula montana for a week and try to get another episode out as soon as we can here's Cade, and here's cole and we're your co-hosts before we get started with our interview today we want to talk about a pretty big change in the whole space to place project Originally, we were raising funds through the project to support Reyes, an awesome organization that's providing legal services to undocumented immigrants in Texas, and that's fighting for those people's rights to space and place. However, between last episode and this one, Hurricane Florence struck our home state of North Carolina, and has had an enormous impact on the lives of thousands of people out there. In light of this, we've decided to direct 100% of the funds received towards hurricane relief in eastern North Carolina. When we return from the road trip, my family and I will be leading a volunteer trip down to Robeson County, North Carolina, and bringing all the funds raised to get it to those who are most in need. We are currently organizing the trip with contacts in Robeson County, as well as the Carolina Center for Public Service. If you're interested in hearing more about that effort or getting involved, please reach out to us at space.2.place.project at gmail.com. We will also be recording our final episode of the season with folks in Robeson County while we're doing our work, so you can keep a lookout for that coming to you sometime later this year. All right, time for the interview? Yeah, let's do it. Our guest today is Kenta Nowy, a New Yorker, a graphic designer, a self-proclaimed mover, and an all-around excellent person. Did you say mover? Yeah, mover. Kinta talks more about it in the interview, but basically it means he doesn't contain himself to just dance. He's passionate about anything that gets his body moving creatively. That's dancing, capoeira, handstands, squats, gymnastics, truly anything. I met Kinta through my great friend June, and he told me all about his experience living in New York, and how he feels about public spaces, and what he thinks about the potential for those spaces. Oh man, that sounds really interesting. Let's listen to it. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
my name is Kenta Nawi. Cool. And, and where were you born? Uh, I was born in in the Bay Area, in Hayward. Cool. Yeah. In yeah. California. Yeah. <laughs> Just so people don't know. And uh, how old are you? I am 27 years old. 27. And what part of uh, New York do you live in, roughly? Uh, I live in what uh, I feel like real estate people would call East Williamsburg, but I'm right on the edge of Bushwick in Williamsburg. And how long have you lived in New York? Uh, I am on my fifth summer. Uh, I've lived in New York um, for about four years. I'm on my fifth summer now, so going into my fifth year. Perfect. And what do you spend like most of your time doing, like st- studying, working, and if working like in what field or whatever? Yeah. So most of the time here spent um, as a designer. I freelance and I run a small studio, um, working with clients, consulting, things of that nature. I'm also a really avid mover. So I dance a lot. I go and train whatever classes I can take. Yeah. Like. If I can do, if I have time for a capoeira, I'll go do that with my partner. She's a capoeirista. I'll go take yoga. I've taken sistema classes. Like, it's just kind of really parkour, whatever I can get my hand on. And um, right now I'm working on a three-day movement exhibit, and that's kind of been a focus of my time out here. Um, yeah. Cool. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, I'll just jump into it. Why are you here in New York to start with? Like, why did you choose to come here? Why am I here in New York? Um, So I came out to New York um, for a change of pace. I grew up in the Bay Area. I went to school in San Francisco. I, you know, traveled for a little bit uh, right after college for like a summer, but I came right back. I worked in SF. um, And I was working at an art gallery. And kind of towards the tail end of that, I started a magazine with some friends of mine. Uh, So that took us to... Um, New York City. Uh, we were kind of traveling kind of up and down the West Coast and definitely New York City. Um, and I've always wanted to move to New York. There's just something about the big city, you know, just the romanticism of New York that everybody has. And um, I actually wanted to move to Europe, mm. but I couldn't really figure out what I would do there or like how to get a visa or anything. I was like 22 at the time. And um, yeah, I just figured... I came out to New York, and I met some really amazing people. Um, I was just like, I think this is this is going to be my next jump. So I came out here for that. Uh, and then since then, I just, I, uh, you know, I've, I'm kind of like part of the trap of New York. It's like once you're here, you can't really leave, even though I'm getting ready to. And I was just trying to really, like, figure out, you know, what are my stakes here and, like, how can I really benefit from being in New York and I, and... I always talk about New York being this, like, um, like, you're this, like, piece of rock, right? And you're thrown into this, like, rock polisher or whatever, and you just keep, like, bumping into, like, obstacles and other people and just shit that New York throws at you. And then by the time you leave New York, you're, like, like, you were, like, super polished on some parts of the, uh, you know, of you, and then other parts are, like, really extra jagged now because, like, you lived in New York and... Um, I think New York really, like, makes you grow and, like, you, you come as one type of, like, one shape of rock and then you definitely leave as another. Um, and that process seems to kind of be, like, like a tumble, so to speak. Um, That's a really good metaphor. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've been enjoying New York, but I'm definitely also ready to see what else is out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, how does the city, like, New York make you feel? 
um, like being in the space that is the city. Yeah. Um, how does New York City make me feel? That's a great question because I think right now, because I'm getting ready to leave New York, mm. I have a lot of emotions mm. um, that I'm processing. Um, <clears throat> New York City makes me feel... Well, one, the cliche, which is like, it makes me feel like anything is possible. Like, it makes me feel like when I first moved out here, I was trying to run the magazine and every magazine, every publishing group, like small publishing group, I feel like end up starting their own studio agency of some sort because that's like really hard to make money just running a publication. So at the time we were trying to start like a little like studio or agency on the side. Um, and we met up with, um, some guys who were older than us who had an agency out here in New York. And they said, man, New York is just so much opportunity here. Mm. It's like, if you can just figure out what your pipe is, and if you figure out how to connect your pipe into the pipe of New York City's, like, flow of money and opportunities, like, you, you will make it here. Um, and that always kind of stuck with me in a way of, like, Okay, like, so how do I do that? Because it's been, a, it was a, such a struggle for me in New York. Like, I really grew into myself. I'm still growing. You'll always still grow, but, like, there's a very specific way that New York has made me grow that I don't think I would have gotten anywhere else. So, New York makes me feel like there's a lot of opportunities. I'm really grateful for all the amazing people I've met here. Um, but, on the other side, because I think everybody that I've met, I'm always like, New York is like this love-hate relationship. On the other side, New York makes me feel um, kind of, like, exhausted all the time and just, like, sometimes, like, I'm not good enough or, uh, like, the heat and the sounds. It's, like, it, it can get kind of frustrating at times, too. Like, uh, I think I'm kind of, I'm, like, emotionally sensitive to a lot of uh, things. So, um you know, uh, coming from California where it's, like, nature and, like, you know, whatever. Like, I, I could just, like, go surfing before class and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, definitely, like, see, you're hearing people honking. <laughs> like, there's just there's just some moments that I really appreciate more quiet and, like, mm. peace. And I don't necessarily get that here, which is why I think I can get exhausted. So, it's a mixed bag. And so, I love it, but I also, like, there are these moments where I definitely know I'm ready to... Mm. I can use a little bit more slower peace and quiet and yeah yeah and even from there like jumping a little bit more specific yeah how do public spaces in the city make you feel specifically yeah so i fucking love this topic which i was so excited when i read the project <laughs> i was like cool yes yeah, yeah because um one of my passions or like something i'm really interested in is actually um spatial design mm -hmm. which is you know building this exhibit about movement and my goal is to eventually build like a movement factory, like a playground for adults, you know? Um, and uh, when I was in Canada, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I was oh, in Vancouver good. back in college. I took a trip up there with a friend. We strapped our bikes into our car. We drove up for the weekend just to go biking around Vancouver. And that was the first time I really understood the importance of urban design. Because here's this beautiful city that has this amazing recreational culture around a lake, right? And there's trails, there's soccer fields, there's just like in these beautiful apartments looking out into the water. And I was like, man, I feel like I, this is nice, right? And then as I get older, like I, I study design, but I didn't study like indu uh, industrial or like urban design mm -hmm. or anything. But as I, but you know, I'm so curious, I'm keeping up. And as I'm getting older and I move from San Francisco to New York City, I start noticing how much quality of life is affected by 
the spaces that are afforded to you. Mm. Um, so when I walk into Central Park, I think that is definitely an oasis in the way. I think New York does a good job about Central Park in that you, if you get deep enough and you can really just like have a weekend, like a Sunday to just like go chill, that is the kind of design that allows for a little bit of break or all the stuff that's happening in Dumbo and along the pier here in Williamsburg. They're really trying to create an environment where you can feel a little bit disconnected from the city. Um, so uh, I think that's, I think to answer your original question, which I think is about how does like urban spaces. Or yeah, like public spaces. Public spaces make me feel. Yeah. Um, I think when it's done really well, it, it does its job about helping you actually have a moment to disconnect and feel the importance of nature in your life, right? Um, when done terribly, it makes me feel like shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, in, in what way does it make you feel like shit? Um, or, like, why does it make you feel like shit? Well, I think, like, parks, like, the importance of parks and, like, urban spaces that... Like, when you say urban spaces, I mean gravitate towards, like, parks and, yeah. like, spaces that are, like, designed for you to step away from kind of the everyday. And um, when they're not designed well, they they just feel so, like, your experience of taking a break is so half-assed. Like, um, for example, like, there's a lot of parks in New York City, but not all of them are, like, kept up well. Right. Um, and so it just, it just feels like there is no, like, for me, personally, I want my urban spaces to have a lot of greenery mm -hmm. and are designed in a way where people are able to, where communities are able to connect and come together in that space. Uh, and share that experience, but also in a way where you can take a moment to breathe without feeling like, like there needs to like there's like some immediate adrenaline rush is gonna happen. Um, and there are definitely spaces out here that are um, that aren't designed that way. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, and it's kind of a give and take. Like some spaces have just been around in the communities, and it's actually fun and. Um, as an outsider to come in for people who've grown up here and for me to like people watching these parks I don't want to take that experience away mm -hmm. um, but yeah definitely there's like a difference between different parks yeah. yeah yeah what spaces in the city do you feel like a really strong attachment to or affinity for <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah um, McCarran Park McCarran right Park. here by Brooklyn and uh, Williamsburg because that's where I hang out mostly around Williamsburg and that's like the park there mm -hmm. Um, and I like that because it's just a nice place to walk around and I hang out with my friends there a lot. I do a movement meet up there. Mm. So, um, is that like an opportunity to like actually move, like dance and do mm -hmm. different Yeah, not even dance, but yeah, just like practice tricks, handstands, headstands, whatever wow. really people want to, I, I mean, I just kind of titled it by accident, like a free flow session, meaning like whatever you want, <laughs> like whatever you want it to be. Like it's not, I kind of want to step away from this notion of like, you come practice with me and you dance because dancing can be really intimidating for people. Mm, yeah. And sometimes people just want to like learn tricks or like learn how to like do better squats or like learn how to be more mobile. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And that's really the goal of like what I'm interested in is like, how do you become more mobile? How do you like push the limits and the capacity of yourself as a mover? Like, you know, I'm really not flexible. So I'm constantly trying to like push that. Um, and it's uncomfortable, but I can do like handstands for a really long time, you know? So it's like, kind of like, you gotta really like 
it really forces you to like deal with your strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and that's also what I love about movement but um, I have an affinity towards McCarran Park because that's like the part that I'm around the most um, I also love Central Park yeah um, I don't get to go out there as much because it's like you know when you live in like Brooklyn I feel like you don't and you don't need to have a reason to go to Manhattan like you don't go there much and especially all the way up there um but that's a really well-designed city, um, really well-designed park where when my friends are in town, like especially in fall when the weather's nicer, like I just love walking around there. I love Central Park. Um, I also really love Cloisters. Um, what like, are those? Uh, there's like a park. I don't know what the exact name of the park is, but Clo- the Cloisters I think is like a, it's like a museum. I probably mm. sound really dumb right now. But like <laughs> basically if you take the A all the way up to like the west side of like the bronx there's a park up there i think there it's i think it's called the cloisters there's like a museum there of like statues outdoor statues and stuff but that park is actually also really fucking nice okay um and it looks over the hudson river Mm. um so those are like really good parks for me nice yeah yeah thanks for sharing yeah Okay, so here was where I actually explained the concepts behind the project Mordekenta. Here we're going to quickly introduce a new concept to frame the rest of the interview. We're going to call it identity space. And it's the space people feel like they can take up within any given place. That space they're taking up with their bodies, with their energy, with their voice, expressions, etc. The extent to which people feel safe or comfortable or able to express themselves in any given place is their identity space. Let's let Kenta drive that concept home with an awesome exhibit idea he had about it. You just gave me an idea for a new exhibit I want to do. Really? After this one, yeah. Um, I, As an Asian American, I think right now I'm in a place where I really want to kind of examine and hold up like identity politics and like what does it mean for me to be Asian American, Japanese American, what does it mean for me uh, to be from the Bay Area, you know, with Silicon Valley, it's like such a cool space to be right now. Mm. And um, so I've been thinking a lot about like what makes you feel comfortable. Like mm-hmm. I, after watching Crazy Rich uh, Asians, oh, right? I haven't seen it yet. It's but, so good. Okay. After watching it, I was like, whoa, like there's just been these experiences where now that there's more people calling for representation, you start to feel the power of representation, mm. right? Um, where before like I was like, yeah, does it matter? And then it's like you start seeing people on screen and you're like, oh fuck, it really matters, right? Um, so when you're talking about like what spaces make you feel like you can tick it up, well, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not, you know, academic about this. And hopefully people, if you end up using this part of it, like <laughs> people don't like, they're not like, well, no. fuck that guy. Like he's not, he's stupid. But like, um, we just want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Just yeah. go for it. Feel free. So, you know, for me, I, I think a lot about representation. I think a lot, like actually when you see familiar sp- faces, you do feel mm more like comfortable in a location mm-hmm. right so like um do you mean when you say that do you mean like people you know or people who look like you so that's the fun places like to actually play with right okay. so on one end like representation is like okay i'm an asian american when i'm around all the asian americans like i feel a little bit more like okay like safe let's call it safe right 
Um, but then on the other end, there are still strangers, and it's like, well, would it make you feel safer if it was just like your friends, like they're all designers or something, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like different ways of identifying. So the exhibit that you made me think about was, could I create a space in which every individual who comes in the space is being recorded and then being digitally projected back onto the wall? So after a while, every time you go in somehow, you can basically be in this middle of this space with projections of every other person who's visited this um, exhibit, but you can filter it based off of race or occupation. Oh, that's so cool. You know what I mean? So you get to actually like start, like it's basically like you walk in the space and then you get to actually be like, what makes me feel like, you know, like most comfortable? Like you get to examine that. So what happens if you like, you know, I'm, I, think I'm a pretty liberal person but I'm also open-minded I don't want to be like you know fuck conservatives or whatever even though I feel that way but like you know everybody's humans I want to be open but it's like wouldn't it be interesting if my exhibit you walked in and you were being forced to challenge how you feel because you see all these like people wearing MAGA hats on the walls yeah you know or what if like I walk in and all the walls were just filled with other Asian Americans or Asian you know people who identify as Asians on the wall you know, like, how would that make you feel? So it's literally an exhibit where you walk in and you're pro- projected on the walls are, like, visual cues or triggers of, like, that relationship with, like, what makes you feel comfortable, what makes you feel like you can take up space, what makes you feel like you can't take up space, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's what you made me think yeah. of as soon as you said that. I was like, that's, that would be a cool exhibit. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's so related to a conversation I was having with my, my friend I'm doing the road trip with, Cole, yeah. who's also on this podcast, yeah. but not right now, um, that we were having the other day when I was in Philadelphia. We were visiting yeah. my friend there. We went out to Chinatown to get dim sum, like, yeah. Sunday morning or something. Um, and there was, like, just a lot of, like, Asian Americans or Asian people, like, in that area. And yeah. I was thinking back to, like, oh, this feels familiar. Oh, yeah, I studied abroad in China. Yeah. Like, um, and so I, I asked Cole, my friend, I was like, have you ever been in a space where, like, you know, there's more than, like, two or three people? Yeah. And, like, there's no one else that looks like you. Um, and I think he had to think about it for a while and like, I, you know, I, it happened to me when I was in China, I've done a lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, it's of course a huge privilege to be like a white European person in the United States where you don't often find yourself in those, in those spaces. And this is not really, I'm bringing this up to really like talk about Mm -hmm. privilege necessarily, more just like that it feels so distinct and unique to be Mm -hmm. in that situation, no matter who you are. And I think that there's so many people that don't get that opportunity or don't pursue that opportunity or whatever it is to like find themselves in a place where they don't look like people around them. And there's so many other people that are forced to do that every day. And then the people that don't do that don't realize how distinctly different those two realities are. Um, And that's huge. there's that one quote about like trap like if you like the best cure for like um fascism is uh is travel or something like that like you know whatever like best cure for racism and bigotry whatever is like traveling because yeah if you know right how do you as a white american empathize with what it means to be other if you were to Mm. grow up in a very white community but if you have the privilege and the audacity to go to a different country throw yourself in china all of a sudden you are the outsider so now you can have a little bit more context to empathize with somebody who might be right. 
you know, Asian American in a predominantly mm-hmm. white community in the South or something, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not exactly the same thing, of course, because no, there's no. still like no, 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 colonialist no. imperialist powers yeah. that make, you know, Way me different. have privilege anywhere I am yeah. in the world. But like it is... You have a little it, bit of... A, it is different and it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a, a taste or I don't know, it's something. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's an experience I think yeah. that you have that I think is important. So, dude, that's amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a good conversation. Oh, okay. I was kind of confused at first, but I think those examples you guys talked about really cleared it up. So, like in Kenna's art exhibit that he was talking about, and in traveling in places with people who don't look like you, identity space is how much space you feel like you can take up as a person in that given space. With your body, with your expression of yourself, or just with how comfortable you feel. That's uh, definitely a really interesting concept. Yeah, and it's one we'll explore in later episodes. We'll talk more with Kenta about using public space for activism and art right after the break. Hey, Cade. Have you ever heard of Holler Shave Club? No. What's Holler Shave Club? Well, you know how razors and trimmers are so expensive nowadays? How they never really get the job done? And how the experience just isn't really all that... isn't all that thrilling? Well, I signed up for Holler Shave Club recently, and it's changed everything. Let me show you. First, you sign up for Holler Shave Club, and a new razor or trimmer shows up at your door, no problem. Open her up, go in for the trim, and... To get 20% off your first order, visit www.hollershaveclub.com s2p. A shave so good, it'll make you holler. So during the break, I was thinking about what Kenta was talking about, about how public spaces give you a chance to kind of uh, separate yourself from the rest of the city or just like a feeling of escape for a little bit. And I definitely agree with that, um, especially on our experience when we were in New York, in Brooklyn specifically, um, we went and checked out Prospect Park one day Mm -hmm. and how we were just walking along. We were following signs, trying to find our way into the park and walking along some walkway. We went under this walking bridge. And as soon as we came out the other side, it was like the city had completely disappeared from around us. There was a big row of tall trees all around the park that literally seemed like it cut off most of the sounds of the city. Like obviously we could still hear a few cars and we could see some skyscrapers over the tips of the buildings, but it felt like we had like teleported somewhere else. And it was really, uh, kind of gave us a lot of like, it gave me like some more peace of, or peace and quiet in my mind a little bit to think and kind of uh, reflect, I guess, on my day so far. And we actually even ended up having a a pretty uh, deep conversation that I don't think would have happened if we had been caught up in the hustle and bustle of the city. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty bizarre experience. I mean, we didn't really know what to expect. For those of you who haven't been to Brooklyn or, or Prospect Park, it was you're sort of like in the the bustle of the city, kind of right next the right next to the library that's there, um, and you go through the interstway of the park. As you see, as soon as you get in, like Cole said, there's this big ring of trees um, that extends like for I don't know, it's it's a huge area, and there's just this enormous pasture, like this grass pasture in the middle of it, and people are hanging out, laying on it, laying the grass, um, and you can just like walk around in it and do anything you would do in like 
you know, any, any park or any big, big rural space, but it, it feels so separate and distinct from the city yeah. in this like weird, unique way. Um, that does give you this opportunity to feel like you're in a completely different space and, and put your mind in a completely different space at the same time. Um, so we just, we, we thought about that during or after the interview and we just wanted to share that with y'all and, um, it's something that was really related to the, uh, the interview and we wanted to, I don't know, just share our thoughts on that. Yeah. I just thought that was so relevant that Kenza brought that up after that was our exact same Mm -hmm. experience in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was the same day too. Yeah. So it was kind of kind of wild. Yeah. All right. Let's hear what else Kenta has to say. Okay, New York City is a really diverse place. Yeah. Um, in general, one of the more diverse cities in the world. And not only is it diverse, but there's just like a shitload of people. Yeah. Right? And so you're confronted with different people who look different than you like every day, all the time, like pushing against you on the subway or in a park or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right? What do you think, like living in a really diverse, like big place with lots of public spaces, yeah. what effect do you think that has what on effect? people? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, um, okay. Compared to like people who, who live in like more rural areas, for example. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to your experience going to China. I think when you are in a space where you're kind of more or less forced to come in contact with a lot of cultures, you have the privilege of understanding how big the world is. And hopefully that gives you an opportunity to be more open-minded and to really appreciate how beautiful and unique each kind of culture and background and personal identity and all that is. And um, there's this book... I. The name escapes me, but that talks about why a city like New York um, or metropolitan cities are the future of innovation Mm. because um, you're literally forced to push up against diversity, um, diverse ideas and cultures, right? And innovation is like often described, like Steve Jobs described it kind of as like when you're able to connect two dots. Um, And like innovation is often described when you're like able to basically to take very different ideas or like ideas from different like context and like put them into like a same thing right so um i think when you're living in a city like this it actually forces a lot of like uh innovation in all these different ways or like um you know if you think about like culinary arts like Mm -hmm. you think about like (laughs) you know um you know the new yorkers version of japanese food sure you know what i mean like it's just like there's something I think that's really interesting that comes out of the fact that all these different cultures are intermingling and exchanging the best ideas or even the worst ideas with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. Like, I also think there's obviously like bad things as well. I mean, mm-hmm. not bad in that I think inherently it's bad, but just like other people who might not be from New York and grew up in this diversity might come here and like feel kind of like, weird about it Mm. i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily but to them it might feel uncomfortable Mm. um but yeah i think diversity is always a great thing i mean if you also look at like biology and like genes and stuff right like like um yeah diversity is like really that's how you evolve as a species right yeah so um it's the same thing i think there's like a when there's a diverse when you live in a diversity city with full of diverse ideas and people's intermingling like we're kind of like evolving and pushing each other as like a culture and society mm-hmm. so cool it's good yeah um i want to change gears just like a little yeah, bit yeah um i think one really really important function of public spaces is to be like 
a space for social movement and social mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. and like a platform for speech and and like um, assembly like all these like freedoms that mm-hmm. are obviously important to the United States Constitution mm-hmm. and people in general mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes they aren't used that way or there's like a lot of limits to how they can be used that way mm-hmm. um, so I don't know do you have any like thoughts on public spaces as like um, like instruments of social change I guess is a good way to put it yeah um, <clears throat> it makes me think of that like one that one like space in like in the UK somewhere I want to say London but I might be completely wrong where it's like it's like known for people to like address different uh, like social issues or whatever mm. I, I think um, I know there's somewhere out there I, I, I watched it in a video a couple days ago I just um, it just leaves my mind, but yeah, I think, um, it makes me think about like, I'm from the Bay area and we've, when we protest, we like to shut down, um, freeways, mm-hmm. um, which is like really inconvenient for a lot of people, but also that's kind of the point is like yeah, exactly. the people who are, that we're, you know, the issues that we're protesting, um, against or for like, um, you know, for those people that are affected, like it, it is inconvenient. It's not something that they have the privilege to think about. Yeah. And that's the whole idea of like shutting down these like spaces mm-hmm. is literally like we're forcing you to deal with an issue or kind of emotionally like empathize with like the frustrations of what every what they're going through. So um, I think in that way, like just literally like there is actually like now that I'm talking to you, like there's a privilege to a space, right? Mm. Like we there's an assumption that when we hop on the freeway that we can go somewhere. There's an assumption that when we go uh, to school that something's going to happen in a certain way. But what happens when you do a sit-in? You know, um, what happens when you literally, like, occupy a college, right? Um, or occupy the freeway. You're literally kind of using space to create an embodied political experience, which is something that I'm really interested in, like, with the work that I'm doing with this exhibit, Again, it's my first one and I'm learning and I'm really sure. trying to understand how do I really effectively translate what I want to say. But a lot of the work comes from um, embodiment of like art, I guess. There's an actual name for it, but um, that my friends who are actual academics <laughs> have told me. Um, again, I'm, you know, I'm kind of just like, I like doing things. No, I, you I'm got not it. always the best at remembering the academic terms, but... Um, there's a, a form of art that I think is really relevant now, which is about embodied experiences. So not just like me being like me making you like deal with privilege by like looking at like, you know, like Japanese internment camps, but like, I'm going to throw you into an internment camp and make you feel it. And that's part of the art. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think in that way, like spaces provide an opportunity to actually experience and embody an issue. Um, and so not just like you know, could we create more spaces for people to protest in? But when you literally, like, shut down the expectations of a space, I think it creates a moment to actually have to deal with something um, that's very big. Um, I, you know, and I think that's actually a really effective way, as inconvenient as it is for a lot of people. I feel like in a lot of people's minds, the way, like, protest is supposed to be is this, like, quiet, orderly, peaceful, like following the rules, like, applying for all the permits, like, being in in this place that's not disorderly Mm -hmm. or, like, 
dis- dis- disruptive for anybody, but that defeats the entire purpose mm-hmm. of doing it to begin with. Yeah. And like, you yeah. can't effectively use a public space to protest something if you're not going to like be a little bit disruptive. It's like, there's a point where I think frustration can only be voiced. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's a point where like you have to really show how frustrated you Mm. are and it, and we can't like, because the way our system is set up, unfortunately, like we can feel like we're just saying like, we don't, we're frustrated about this issue. And then it's Mm. like, nothing happens. And like, if you look at all the, like the real big changes happened, you know, even in American history, like we romanticize the, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr. and like the march against you know on um, on Washington and stuff like that, but like, but at the time it was a really fucking disruptive thing, yeah. you know. Um, so I think in that way, like these sit-ins and stuff, like also like they were really disruptive. Mm-hmm. Like, so um, yeah, I agree. I think there's a kind of comes a point because because. Because I, I do have this discussion with friends where we're like, well, what's the point of going to a march? Or what's the point of doing this? And I think it's like, you kind of need everything, right? Like, you do need, like, you know, whatever, like, celebrities and, like, influencers being like, we're we're opposed to this, you know? <laughs> like, this this is bad. Um, we do need the, the hacktivists and we need the behind-the-computer activists who are just, like, sharing shit on Facebook there's a place for that. There's a place for us to call our representatives. And then I think there are times where you just have to show up in numbers. And I think we've seen that with like the Women's yeah. March and we've seen that with Black Lives Matter and the biggest environmental march that New York had, you know, mm-hmm. we had here in New York and things like a couple years ago too. Like there, there, it just shows like, yo, like we are here in numbers. We're not just mm-hmm. some like number you see on the computer like you can feel again going back to embodiment like you can feel the weight of an issue by literally seeing millions of people show up somewhere yeah you know around the world um so i think spaces in that way like us occupying spaces like can act you can actually see the weight of an issue um so i think that's yeah. a powerful thing of those you're completely right um how can we be like sub- subversive or disruptive in public spaces in like a good way like yeah. a, like a useful like productive way yeah. um, it seems like you've been doing that some in your own work and like just your thoughts on that like with what you want to get out of that as a person or as an activist or whatever you do like how do you think it's what's like a good process in, in doing that yeah um <clears throat> yeah uh for me personally like i think that organize organized um like marches and stuff i find pretty like effective because again it's kind of like just getting to see the pure number of supporters it's not you know you can't you can't be like well those are fake numbers because you like literally look at the photos and you see like thousands of people showing hundreds of thousands of people showing up for something um so i think that's kind of interesting to me in terms of more the activism route mm. um or you know just again the disruption of spaces and things for me though um i think like art this is kind of where art and social justice really comes in and like um like the way i want to do it is like again i'm really in the beginning stages like really transitioning more into this kind of work but like embodied art so um one creating space that allows communities to come together Mm -hmm. safe spaces community spaces for people to really like have a real discussion about things i think that's important in terms of space 
Um, and then two is like for me, like creating experiences where you can really feel uh, the weight of uh, an idea or an issue. Um, you can, you know, have, like it's really important for me to make things accessible. So even with like art, like not, like everybody has a different way, but for me, like just like teetering a little bit in the commercial side so that people can kind of like feel like it's not so threatening to their every being, sure. but then I lure them in in that way and then they come and they can experience something. That's like my hopes. Obviously my first exhibit is very, very, it's not like social justice oriented and you know, it's really more just about like how do we examine movement in our lives and spaces, but um, moving forward, I'd love to do more like I have a, like the project we just talked about, or like mm. I have an I- idea for an exhibit about um, about trash culture, um, how we consume and dispose of objects in our lives. Um, so, I think like in terms as a designer and artist, like creating spaces that people can come experience, just yeah. take a moment from every day to like really think about something mm-hmm. and then hopefully be able to create some sort of like action step for them to walk away with. Yeah. Um, could be really cool, uh, which is why like moving forward, like I wanna partner with organizations and like, you know, be the design and art component of something, but really like like creating opportunities for organizations to like have voice and like be seen and I think that's kind of where art and design is like really good at it garners the space and attention and then you can pass it off to people who know what they're talking about yeah yeah what do you think the role of like local government is in that whole process and what I mean by that is like do you think there are ways in which spaces can be physically designed or designed in terms of the policy and rules around them or whatever um to be more accommodating to that kind of exhibit or activism um so is your question about what i think about local government and spaces or like about like specifically to like the art like the cult art and cultural kind of scene like more specifically to like art and culture but art and cultural like from like an activist perspective kind of like you were talking yeah like what what role can they can local government have or even more than local government have in providing spaces that are more accommodating to that kind of work yeah i mean i think like just creating more spaces you know creating more funding like you know in the u.s like funding for arts is so hard to come by um in europe it's i hear it's getting cut down you know obviously it depends on the country but i hear it's also kind of minimizing but i think sounds like from my european counterparts they're a little bit more expectation of like art being something that's funded by the government and Mm. um like it's still kind of important so i think on a local government like no matter where you are whether it's just a small town of 700 or a big metropolitan city if the government can provide literally spaces for artists to create and just showcase issues or showcase their work that maybe deals with issues i think that's one thing yeah. and funding their projects you know um i think those are really going to be important um I think Oakland I, I mean a couple years ago I was reading that Oakland was one of the cities with like that spent the most on public art which I thought was interesting um and so just things like that like providing opportunities for artists to like help beautify a city help yeah. speak on an issue help create public spaces um cause you know artists will work on like community gardens like yeah. that's an art exhibit in itself mm-hmm. and 
I mean, community gardens are fucking amazing. Like, they really bring a neighborhood together if done well. So, um, just like, I think if the government can... It's a little bit of both. Like, again, going back to balance. Yeah, like, of course. Being involved by providing resources, but not being involved in that they're trying to push an agenda up mm. against you. Yeah. I think that's important. That's huge. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all I've got, really. Anything else you want to say <laughs> in general? Um... No, if you're in New York, October 19th, 21st, uh, you can follow me at Kenta Thomas on Instagram or Movement Design Research on Instagram. And um, please uh, follow the journey and come out to this exhibit. It'll be open from October 19th, 21st. We'll have performances on the first night. It's a Friday night. We'll have workshops, discussions on the second night, Saturday, second day and night uh and then the third day we'll be closing but we'll it'll be open for half a day so come through awesome yeah thanks thanks so much man cool wow what an awesome interview i really really enjoyed that thanks again kenta and just to reiterate if you are in the new york area around october 19th through 21st you can check out Kinta's latest work. Follow him at Kinta Thomas on Instagram for details. And before we wrap up, Cole, did you leave the interview with any lingering thoughts or questions? Yeah, I mean, I think um, what he was bringing up about using public spaces as an area for expression and for uh, protest and for any kind of social movement is something that's really important, uh, especially with everything that's been going on in the news in the last couple of years. Um, I'd be really curious to see like what kind of further conversations can come about about that subject. Yeah, me too. That was definitely the most striking part of the interview for me. Just everything he was saying about the work he's doing and he's been involved in and that he wants to do with using public spaces as a means for creative expression, for activism, and for just like changing people's perspective on things um, and the potential that he he showed us there is for that kind of work in public space was just really fascinating um, we're definitely going to be trying to find and are finding right now more people doing similar kinds of work um, for more of our interviews in the future so um, we'll be exploring those topics a lot more later if you keep listening to our podcast we'll definitely get back to that topic at some point and as usual we want to hear what all our audience has to say if anybody out there has any questions or thoughts, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at space.2.place.project at gmail.com. All right. It's time for us to go eat some Chili Mac. Hey. Thanks again for your support and for listening. You can now find us on all your podcast apps. Please subscribe and look out for the next episode coming out soon. What are we going to be covering next, Cade? You can look forward to a few things coming up in our next few episodes, including a more historical exploration of how government has influenced space and place in people's lives, an interview on gentrification in the Bay Area of California, and an interview on coastal space design. But that's it for today. Thanks, everyone. Stay buzzy. <laughs> <laughs>